I am really excited about what I got to say today, and I'm also a little bit nervous, so um, I want to do what uh, we do every week here, and my guess is you've got some excitement, you've got some nervous, you've got some craziness in your life, good, bad, whatever. Um, what we know is when we get to this place and God wants to say something to us, and, and wherever you are with God, if you're kicking the tires and trying to decide what's real, whatever, you might as well give me the next half hour, 40 minutes, 45 minutes, something like that, um, to, uh, to talk to you today and let God speak into your life. But it, you will miss it today. You will completely miss whatever God wants to say to you today if you don't take time to quiet your life. Um, and so we do that every Sunday before the sermon. We take a moment to, to quiet our lives, all the good, all the bad, everything, to take a deep breath. And I don't know if you're like me, but I haven't had very much time where there's just no noise. Um, I get up every morning early before the rest of my family, and I do have some quiet time. I call it quiet time, but the truth is i got to let the dogs out, and they're whining all the time. The air conditioner goes, hang in my ear while I, you know. Um, I, got, I got noises. My, my son, uh, um, like, in, in his sleep, he grinds his teeth. And so I'm trying to have quiet time, and it's like. <laughs> so there is just, even in the quietest times, there's no quiet time. Um, and so what I'm hoping to do today, and it may not be very quiet in here um, either, but I'm hoping to give you 30 seconds, just 30 seconds right now, where you can get quiet. Um, those of you who have been doing this a long time, who've been doing the church thing a long time, and think you know what all the answers are to all the big questions in life, this is a good time for you to be open-minded, for you to say, maybe I don't know. Um, and to let God open your mind. Those of you who are kicking the tires have decided that you know who God is or who he's not or whatever. This is a good time for you to be open-minded. Um, and the guy preaching today needs to be open-minded. Um, so whatever I prepared, um, I, I need to pray that God will kill it if it's not his. So all that said, I'm going to give you about 30 seconds just to be quiet, and then I'm going to pray for us, and we'll jump right in today. Yeah, that feels good. God, we know that you could speak loud enough in our lives or do something loud enough that it would get our attention if you wanted to do that. But you made it clear that you speak in a small voice, a quiet voice, so that we have to turn down our lives to hear you. And so we choose you. You've proven to us that love always has choices. That you don't force us into choices. And you've given us the choice right now to choose you over the noise in our lives, and we do. So whatever we come in here believing, whatever we come in here thinking, feeling, we hold it in suspense, hoping that the creator of the universe will speak into our lives. Would you do whatever you need to into our hearts right now so that you you say something in the next little bit that is more important than anything that John Mitchell has to say. In fact, even better than Oprah or Dr. Phil or any book that's on a shelf, that you would say something to us that's not only profound and different, but something that will, has legitimate impact on our lives and we'll listen and we'll act accordingly. Pray for my attitude today, God, that I wouldn't get like I know this stuff. 
you be honored by my humility and that people would be changed, including the one who speaks. In your son's name, amen. So I'm on a series called FAQ, Frequently Asked Questions. Um, and literally, these aren't just questions that I have. These are questions that I have kind of looked at Facebook and emails, and I have pulled out four major questions um, that I get a lot as a pastor. Um, and things that, that, honestly, I would say 10 years ago, 15 years ago in my life, when they're asking me, I would normally say, um, make up something. I've got like a line I can say. To, and it's usually something like this. Christians do this all the time. Jesus people do this all the time. Somebody says something like, so if God loves everyone and wants everyone to have a chance, then what about the kid who was born in the middle of Africa somewhere who has never heard the name Jesus or never heard about God, and he doesn't have a chance. And, and usually what a Christian says when they don't know the answer is this. It's a big God. He figures things out. You know, we, we have these cop-outs. We have these things that we... And the truth is we don't know the answer to every question. But what I found out um, in my life early, and I'm so thankful for parenting this way, is that questions actually mean that we have a mature relationship. Whether it's questions with your, with your uh, significant other, whether it's questions with friendships, whether, and especially when it comes to God, he is big enough and cannot be offended by your questions. So some of you, I just said that, and that's the first time you've ever heard it, that God isn't offended when you have doubts or questions. And maybe you'll not hear a thing I say today because that is a shock to you. But it is absolutely true that God is not offended by your questions. In fact, what offends God is faith without questions. It's like this blind, boring faith that doesn't really mean anything to you when the rubber meets the road. So what, what I want to talk about over the, over the next uh, few minutes here today, I've saved for last because it's probably the number one question that I get, especially during funerals, especially during hard times in people's lives, in emergencies and accidents, and it is this, and just be straight up with it. What is heaven and what is hell? What, what, what are those two things, and how does it relate to my life? And today, I saved this for last because I believe not only is, is this question worth answering, but it is also potentially life-changing for you. For you to get the message today is potentially life-changing, and, and I don't think it's an accident that I happen to be on vacation while I'm preaching this sermon because one or two things can happen. I could either mail this sermon in and kind of be like, just get it over with so I can go on vacation, or I could get a deep breath, which I did yesterday, and get to put a little extra energy in this. So hopefully extra energy doesn't mean extra time. Um, I'm hoping I can go quick today, but I have some things to say to you today that if you'll keep an open mind... And this is really, really hard for those of you who grew up with flannel graph in Sunday school. This is really hard for those of you who grew up in church or those of you who have been of God follower for a long time to say maybe, maybe that picture of the devil with the pitchfork and the long tail and the horns isn't really what the Bible talks about or what God thinks about hell. Maybe that heaven isn't somewhere else. I think these are really hard things for us to, to talk about because we get images all over the place. Check this out, Nathan, that first slide there. We have these weird images of heaven all over the place. We have songs, has a song called Stairway to Heaven that, pick, that, you know, that you learn as a guitar riff, just as you're learning a guitar, that's the very first song. You know that song well. We have all these, these imagery, this imagery of, around heaven, and part of the reason is because we just don't know much about it, and it kills us that we can't talk about heaven in real specific things. So people write songs, and there are songs written hundreds of years ago that we have taken as real, 
as God things. Um, things that, uh, that God said that no, God didn't actually say, but it was in a hymn a long time ago, and we got it confused with Scripture. We've done that. And we've, we've, we've created images of heaven that, that just aren't biblical, and they just, we just kind of make things up sometimes. Um, in fact, we even tell jokes. I love this one. This is one of my favorite ones. About the pearly gates and Peter somehow m- being the gatekeeper. Like, Peter, with all the work he did for the kingdom of God and all the great things he did in life, like, God is going to say, okay, your job now is to be the security guard at heaven. Like, that's going to be his job, you know? It is ridiculous to me. But we do. With Peter standing at the pearly gates of heaven. That's the way half of the jokes we tell start. And, and this one is Steve Jobs um, with uh, Peter looking through this big, long list, and he says, I've got an app for that, which I think is really funny. You maybe have to be a tech geek for that one, but um, we, we, we make up all this imagery around heaven, and what I'd like to do today is I'd like to, like to take an objective look at what heaven is, and I'd like to take an objective look at what hell is, and I, I'm going to tell you today that I am not a hell fire and brimstone preacher. There's a lot of reasons for that. One of those reasons is I just kind of like to get along, you know. I like to preach peace and love and the things that Jesus preached, and there are 30,000 scriptures in the Bible, and 20 of them mention hell. But half of what religious people talk about is hell. There's a math problem here. (laughs) You understand that? That very few times in the Bible and very, very few times in Jesus' ministry did he even mention hell. But it becomes the very leading conversation that Christians have with the world. In fact, there was a book written by um, a mentor of mine. He doesn't know he's a mentor because I read him from afar. But his name is Rob Bell, and he wrote a book called Love Wins. And it made Christians so mad because he challenged the fact that there was a physical hell. And for some reason, for me, I, didn't, I wasn't fascinated by whether or not hell was real. What I was fascinated with was all the Christians that were so desperate for hell to be real. I kept seeing all these Christians going, well, hell is real, and it better be real. And I want, It's like they want people to go to hell. And I, I, today, I, I want to challenge you with some of the, your thoughts about heaven and hell. And as you think about them, I want you to check yourself. There's a phrase that when I was growing up, this is going to date me, it was check yourself before you wreck yourself. You remember that phrase? And, and the thought is with this, it's so easy to hear something and go, but them and that and that preacher and that thing and this, and not go, what is, what is that in me? When, when this whole series came out, this, this whole book came out, Love Wins, he, the, the, uh, the author challenges the fact that there is a physical hell that people will go to. And at one point, um, the, author's, uh, the, the author has some friends that, that uh, were talking together, and one of them said to another, um, what do you think about this guy and the fact that there is no hell? And the other guy looked at me and said, well, I hope he's right. <laughs> like, I hope he's right, don't you? And there's this thing in, in religious people that go, well, I hope there is a hell. And if, if I don't get to live the way I want to live and the way you want to live, then I hope you get to go there and I get to go here. And so I want you to check yourself today when it comes to heaven and hell. And I'm going to say that before we get going today because we have these images of heaven and hell. We have cartoons. We have fire. We have all these things. Uh, the far side is an old, that, I mean, I'm dating myself today. The far side, if you're a kid, you don't even know what that is. But it's a, it's a cartoonist who wrote, did some of the most fascinating cartoon work I've ever seen. And I still keep a lot of them. And a lot of his was about our concepts of hell. But the truth is, when it comes to heaven and hell, most people have an opinion. Most people have an understanding. When I I do a funeral, um, which is one of the hardest parts about being a pastor, unless it's somebody I desperately love. Same thing with weddings. The older I get, the more I... If you come to me and you want to be married and you have to introduce yourself first, the answer is, no, I'm not the right guy. Because I, I just think my weddings are so much better if I know you and it's out of love. If, 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 a, if it comes time for a funeral and you want me to, to do a funeral for your grandmother, if you have to tell me her name and what her cat's name was and what her, 
I, I'm not going to do a very good funeral. But if, if you come to me, if I come to you, and I'm hoping that you ask me, would you please conduct this service? Now I'm, gonna, now I'm in my, my sweet spot. But a lot of times when I first started in ministry, I couldn't say no to people. So people would ask me to marry them, and it would be like, um, Lois is on the phone, John, for you, because you're the last man on the totem pole in this church. And I'd say, Lois who? Lois Williamson? She says she's a member of this church, so I call. Hi, Lois. Um, do I know you? Well, no, but my grandpa's grandpa's grandfather went to your church twice during Easter and Christmas on 2004, and, and my grandmother just died, and we won't need you to do the funeral. And I'd have to do this funeral, and when I got there, everybody had questions. I didn't know them. I didn't know her. I didn't know anything about And everybody would say, so where is Grandma today? What's she doing? What's she feeling? What's she thinking right now? They all wanted to play a country song that said, she's looking down for me on heaven, or something like that. You know, and I, and I don't know if it's real, I don't, and I don't know how to help them, I don't know what to do. And as a pastor, I had to come up with some pretty serious answers really quick. And so here's what I did, and man, maybe this is preacher confession day, because I just started saying whatever made people feel good. Yeah, your grandma's looking down on you from heaven today. If that keeps you from crying... Yes. Well, no, even though he, your, your dad lived however he wanted to live, he treated everybody however he was treated, I'm sure at the last moment he got to go to heaven. And that's what I would say. And the truth is, that's the way I did ministry for a long time. And it got me so tired of this thing that I couldn't pull my car into a church parking lot without feeling gross. I got out of ministry and I came to New Life Christian Church. And nine years ago, I walked into this building and I had people that looked me in the face and said, I don't care what makes me feel good. I, don't, I want the truth. And I started saying the truth. And you know what the truth is? I don't know. But I'm going to find out some things that I can tell you that I feel. And then let's all hold in suspense this thing that God never intended for us to completely understand. So let's get on the same page before I move forward, before you send me nasty Facebook messages. I don't know for sure, and neither do you. So let's do what we do when it comes to questions we don't understand. Let's ask God, let's dig into who we know of God to be, and let's hold some things in suspense that ne God never intended to be answered. But there's some things that we can do today. A few things Jesus said about this. Now, full disclosure... I have a bias towards Jesus. I just do. So if you're, not, if you're not a Jesus person, if you're listening online, we have about 900 people a week listening online, and that's a lot of people, and a bunch of you aren't Jesus people. You just like the thought. The truth is, if you like the thought, you're Jesus people. But that's a whole other story. The idea of Jesus was that he came, and he said some things that blew people away. He turned everything on its ear. He said, you've heard it was said like this, and life was like this, but it's really not. It's like this. And people went, <gasps> and that was pretty cool, but it started to go away until he came to the end of his ministry, and he said, you know what, I'm going to die and I'm going to raise again. And people went, well, now that is a magic trick right there. If you can actually die and we can see you take your last breath, you can be dead and smelly in a grave for three days and come back, I believe what that guy said. And so there were hundreds of witnesses that saw this man Jesus say these amazing things and then raise from the dead. Now, whether you believe that or not, that's between you and God right now, but you need to know that my bias when it comes to this is this man said some things while he was on earth that, to me, he proved when he raised from the dead. Now, so that, that's kind of where I'm starting with this. But a few things Jesus said. The first thing Jesus said about heaven and hell or about eternity is this, that eternity starts now. 
When we're, when we're Christians, we talk about this in church a lot. We even talk to our kids like this. Be careful how you talk to your kids. Eternity we think of as something that starts when we die, but that is not how Jesus talked about eternity. He talked about some, eternity as something that starts right here, right now. Here's the way he talked about heaven. It's an amazing. Um, Rob Bell, one of my favorite authors, says this. He says, eternal life doesn't start when we die. It starts now. It's not about life that begins at death. It's about experiencing the kind of life now that can endure and survive even death. Matthew 6, Jesus is praying, a whole bunch of people around him, and they do what, what uh, like lots of smart people do. They like the way somebody lives, and these people that are around Jesus love the way Jesus lived his life. He would do things that just made sense, and they thought, man, I could live like that. So they followed him, and when they followed him, they began to do what he did, and he noticed that, so he said, hey, when you guys pray, like, yeah, we do that. You know, we do the now he lay me down to sleep prayers, and Jesus is like, no, 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 no. That's a good way to start when you're little, but you need to grow out of that, and you need to be real with God, and this is how you pray. And Jesus started like this, and he said, he, he said our, our father, and then they said, hang on right there, Jesus, what? You just called him dad? Yeah, yeah, that's the new thing now. You can call him dad. But at that point, people would barely say the name God because they were so scared of him. And Jesus said, I, you can call him daddy now. And that was crazy. And as he got through the prayer, Jesus finally says this. He says, dad, your kingdom come. The, the word for kingdom is this, this concept of your will and your life and your, the way you do things. Your kingdom come. Your will, the thing that you want, be done on earth, on earth right here as it is where you are. And Jesus had a concept of heaven and eternity where the, the eternity starts right here, right now. That what God wants from you is not to evacuate this place. We're going to talk about that in a minute. In a minute. When I was in, in college, it was a, a theory called evacuation theology. And the idea is this, that, and you maybe grew up like this, or you've heard this preached in a church, or heard, heard this somewhere, that somehow the world is getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse, and at some point God is going to have it, and he's going to explode it, like that scene in Star Wars, you know, where the Death Star explodes. Like God is going to have it, and he's going to la- hit it with a laser, and it's going to explode, and we're going to get out, those of us who believe right, talk right, say right, confess right, we're going to get out just in time. And you've written this little movie. And the truth is, it's not the way Jesus talked about what we do and about eternity. What he said was, there is an age, that is the time we live in now, and there is an age to come. And that is a time that will be different. And when Jesus talked about this, he talked about it as something that we are in right now. So this age that we're in right now, we're preparing for the next thing to come. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a second. Next slide. He, this, the second thing that Jesus says about all this that is very, very, very clear in Jesus, and, and I'm trying to do things that are really clear today, and one of those things is this, that God's will for your life, that what God wants most for you as you sit, and let that sink in for a minute, because you need to get drawn back to right where you are. Whatever you brought into this place, whatever you're feeling, whatever you're thinking, whatever you're hurting about, As you sit, what God wants for you is to choose him. Not to be forced, because love isn't forced, ever. Not to be coerced, because love isn't coerced, ever. Not to be manipulated emotionally by a preacher who tells good stories about his kids. It's not what God wants from you. It's not what he wants from you. What he wants is for you to look in the mirror and say, this is God and this is the rest of the life and I choose God. 
So he's slowly, subtly speaking into your life. And Jesus makes it really clear that love, real love, demands freedom. Now, this, might, this is a whole other sermon, but if, you've got, if you're at home right now and you're a husband and wife or you're, 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 a, you're a couple that has dealt with this uh, control issue your whole life where it's like, if you love me, then this, and if I love you, then this, and if this, then, and there's not freedom in your house, then there's not love. Because love comes with freedom. Love demands freedom, the kind that God has. It always has, and it always will. We are free to resist, reject, and rebel against God's way for us. And here's the truth. We can have all the hell we want. We can choose however we want to live. I brought up that word hell. That's called foreshadowing if you're a writer. You're going to hear it again in a minute. Another thing Jesus says, it all comes down to Jesus. The next slide, Nathan. It all comes down to Jesus. In the end, it all comes down to Jesus. The good news is, in the end, love wins. I want you to hear something that God said. Um, 1 Timothy says this. This is all over the Bible. This is the the version that I like of it the best. It's in 1 Timothy. And I want you to hear this today because you maybe have never listened to this squarely when it comes to this subject. And here it is. God desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of, of the truth, to choose the truth. He desires all people to be saved. And now here's the question I've got for you. Maybe you've heard that before, but maybe you've never thought of it like this. God, the creator of the universe, the one that made all of this, doesn't God get what God wants? Doesn't God get what God wants? Yes, there's a choice. But in the end, love wins. Paul says this, for by grace you've been saved through faith that is not on your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of the work, so that no one may boast. Today, um, at the end of the service, um, we're going to have some people, and I can't hold it back anymore, three people that have come today to say, we want today to be a milestone in our lives. Um, and that's what this thing is over here, this, this baptistry. It looks really clear right now, but if they don't put stuff in it, it's gooky and nasty. Um, and it is, it's just water. But they've come today to say, we want to choose We don't want to be forced. We don't want to be coerced. We are choosing God, and that's what's happening. Paul says this, it's happened free. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't get this thing from God in any way but to unwrap it like a gift so that you can't boast that somehow you've earned it. It all comes down to Jesus. And when he talks about heaven, next slide, Nathan, he says this. He talks about it as the age to come. And so right now we're out at Shackamack, my whole family. We're out in this beautiful cabin at Shackamack. And you can see from the dining room table, you can see um, the lake, which I hit really hard and catch fish all the time. It's amazing. We were sitting there last night, and we are eating dinner. Mom made meatloaf. and I mean, it's not camp food, let me tell you. And we look out at the lake, and my dad says, this is what heaven's going to be like. And I remember what I was preaching. And we say things like that all the time. This is what heaven's going to be like. And here's what we do in our mind. I want you to think for just a second. Wake up if you fell asleep. We do this with heaven. We go, okay, what is heaven going to be like? We picture. And then because of all the cartoons and the Disney-eyes things, we get clouds and we see robes and we hear, oh, and we see a God with a big staff and a beard. and And the truth is this is not the picture of the Bible shares about heaven this is not the way jesus talked about heaven 
The truth is, if Jesus was sitting at the table with my dad last night, and my dad said, this is what heaven's going to be like, Jesus says, yep, because it is. This is heaven. Heaven is here. This is why. This is why. We pay attention to the way we treat this earth. This is why we pay attention to the things of this earth because God has made it very clear that he is not abandoning this place, that he is not how somehow going to explode it one day and there will someplace else be for us to be for eternity. This is heaven. God called this place good. You remember that? That was a long time ago, back in Genesis, when he was hovering over everything. He said, this is good. He has no plans to abandon earth. He is restoring it to the way it was always supposed to be. No violence. Yeah, I was sitting with Dad and I, I looked out in the lake and I thought, yeah, if, if this, if, when this is heaven, when this is all heaven, the fish are going to hit my lure every time. And, and somehow, I'm not going to have to go to work on Monday. And somehow, in the midst of that, I'm not going to have this pain in my gut that there are bills sitting on my desk I can't pay. And somehow, I'm not going to have this thing in the back of my head that remembers my divorce and the baggage that comes with it. And somehow, everything not just, just going to be beautiful at the moment, and there's not going to be just this moment of peace, which we've all experienced. That little moment of peace is going to be our new existence. That is heaven, and it's here. When Jesus talks about heaven, he talks about it here. Mark chapter 10 says this. Peter spoke up. He says, this is what, this is what a lot of times the disciples, the people who were following Jesus, they would follow him because he just said such brilliant things and he was obviously not a normal human, but he was human too and they would follow him around and then every now and then Peter would just kind of like shake his head and go, hey, well guys, what are we doing? This guy has asked us to give up everything. And let's just calibrate for a minute. So Peter spoke up and he said, Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. And Jesus said, he looked right at Peter and he saw his heart. He said, truly I tell you, no one has left his home or brothers and sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much. In this present age, homes, brothers, Sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last. And the last will be first. You've heard that. The first will be last, and the last will be first. This is the context that Jesus talked about it when it came to heaven. Jesus turns our views about heaven upside down about who's going when jesus came and maybe you're familiar with this because it's happening in our culture right now there's a group of people who think they have a corner on god which makes god really really mad to to people that think they know they can speak on behalf of god on things that he's not giving them permission to speak about and they have stood up and they have said we're speaking on behalf of god and we hate you or we're judging you and god judges you and this and god goes hang on Jesus comes to earth and he says, those of you who think you're in, you're out. And they go, hang on, no, Jesus, you don't understand. I've been good all my life. It's not about being good. Those of you who've been pointing fingers, the big fingers pointing back at you. 
Jesus turns everything upside down. And he looks at the poorest. He looks at the most marginalized. He looks at the most ripped off people on the earth. And he says, in fact, those of you who are sitting in the back right now, you come up. You come forward. And he stood on a mountain. And we call it the Sermon on the Mount. He stood on a mountain and he said, Blessed are you who are poor in spirit. And all the religious people said, Wait a minute, Jesus, you got that backwards. Isn't it funny? He messed up his sermon notes. Because the truth is, blessed are those who are rich spiritually. Those who are real spiritual. That's what you meant, Jesus. No, no, blessed are those who just can't quite get their head around the spiritual thing. Who, who are hurting spiritually and can't quite feel connected to God. Blessed are you. Blessed are you when, when people trample all over you. God is on your side. God is on your side. That's what the phrase blessed means to this culture. He just kept pointing to people and going, God, he's on, he's on your side. And the religious people go, hey, 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 I was good. I was good. I was good. I did this and I did this and I did this and I did this. And God said, yeah, um, the last shall be first. So you want to be first? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then go serve those that are standing behind you. You mean by serving, you mean tell them what they're doing wrong? Nope. Yeah, but doesn't somebody, Jesus, have to protect the law? Yeah, somebody does. His name is God. Yeah, but doesn't somebody have to partake the sanctity of marriage? Yeah, yeah, his name is God. Your job is to love. Yeah, but doesn't somebody have to judge at the end? Yeah, and someday justice will be served. But you don't know what it is. And you better be careful what you ask for. God called this place good. He he has no plans to, to leave it. Jesus turns all of our views upside down about God. He, he, he does some incredible things when it comes to, to heaven. And I'm, I'm going to tell you about a couple. He says some really mysterious things. I don't have answers to these. Full disclosure, this is supposed to be about answering questions, and I'm going to leave you with a lot of questions, okay? Just straight up. You're going to have questions today. And, and a lot of them revolve around some of this. Jesus says, at, at this point, there is, there's a lot of conversation among religious people about who's in and who's out. Who's going to heaven and who's not. We'll, we'll save hell for a minute. Who's going to heaven and who's not. And, and Jesus comes and he changes the conversation. I love this about Jesus. He changes the conversation. He says, on that day, what day? Well, there's a transition between this age and the age to come that Jesus speaks about. On that day, Jesus will be lifted up. Well, what do you mean, Jesus? Are you going to be, like, going up into the air? This is why heaven ends up up sometimes when people talk about it. Are you going to be up? No, 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 no. Jesus will be lifted up, like, like in the midst of everything, when he's quiet and he's sort of underneath everything now. At that point, during that moment, he will raise up above everything. And at that moment, those who have rejected him over and over and over, those who have been kicking the tires, those who he said, you're blessed, Wait, you're blessed. Yeah, but I'm not even spiritual. Yeah, but you're blessed. You're good. I'm on your side. How can you be on my side? I'm not even sure I'm on your side. I'm on your side anyway. He keeps saying that because at the end, Jesus says, he's going to be lifted up, and those who didn't believe, those who were frustrated, will have this opportunity to go, oh my gosh, it was there all along. Jesus says, I will be lifted up, and men will be drawn to me. Humans that have past written songs that reject me, that in the past have preached 
on their own circles against me and have messed all this up, they're going to, at this moment, they're going to realize that's who Jesus is. And at that moment, they're going to be drawn to me because in the end, love wins. In the end, God gets what He wants. So in the end, God says, Jesus says, I'll be lifted up and men will be drawn to me. Yeah, but Jesus, shouldn't we go out and tell people who's going where? No, 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 because in the end, men will be drawn to me. Yeah, but Jesus, shouldn't we go tell them that they're headed on the wrong? No, that's God's job. In the end, you love, and in the end, love wins. At one point, Jesus says this about heaven. He's talking about, about separating sheep and goats and about those who have chosen him and those who haven't. And, and, and he's really a lot of imagery here. And at one point, he says he has other sheep. Like, you're his sheep and I'm his sheep. But he says he has other sheep, which has literally made people ask the question, are there life on other planets? Are there, is there sheep somewhere on another planet? The truth is, I have no clue. That's not what this sermon's about. But that's the kind of thing. Jesus opened up these big doors of heaven, and he wants there to be tension between what we understand and what we don't. And then he says this. This one has always got me thinking. He says, he speaks of the renewal of all things. When he talks about heaven, when he talks about what's next, when he talks about the age to come, he talks about the renewal of all things. Now, what he could have said was the renewal of all well-behaved Christians. He could have said there will be renewal of all good Christian people. But he didn't. He said there will be a renewal of all things. I, I don't know what all this means. But here's what I know about heaven. I know it's going to be here. Jesus is clear about that. I know that my job right now is to be prepared for it. Because when that time comes, when it all becomes renewal, here's a good example. If right now my life is all about me, and I keep every dollar I get, and I keep everything I get, and I use it all for me, when the new world comes, when the new age comes, it will be 100% about generosity, and I will still be in grubby hands mode. I'll still be in mine, 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 mine mode. And so there is a moment where it's going to be painful. One of my favorite writers, Dallas Willard, calls it the fire of heaven. <laughs> that at some point, if you spend all of your life here on earth getting whatever you can and not building up your character and not building the fruits of the Spirit in you and, and becoming a, 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 a violent person, it's going to be, if you do find yourself in heaven, it's going to be a hard life because the transition will be so hard. But if you can here begin to prepare yourself, if you think of eternal life as something that happens next, that's what you'll end up. But if you think of eternal life as something that begins right now, you'll prepare yourself by getting more hope, getting more joy, getting more peace into who you are. So that's a little bit about heaven, a little bit about hell. 30,000 verses in the Bible. 20 of them talk about hell. So if you find yourself spending much time talking about hell, you need to check yourself before you wreck yourself. Because God doesn't talk much about it. And Jesus talks even less than the rest of the Bible talks about it. And when Jesus talks about it, there are about three different words that are used for hell in the Bible. Okay, And this is where some of you are going to really disagree with me, and this is why I said the things about um, opening your mind today. Because if you disagree with me, it's fine. I love you. You love me. But here it goes. There are three words for hell in the Bible. The one that Jesus uses is the word Gehenna. And it's, it's, it's actually a physical place. So he stands in Jerusalem. He teaches in Jerusalem a lot. And the people gather around him. And when they gather around him, he does this all the time. He points at things. He'll say, um, have you ever, you've heard the scripture, even if you're not a Christian, you've heard the scripture that faith 
as small as a mustard seed can move mountains. Well, he, he was standing, we think, he was standing at that time at a place where the king had created a huge palace on a mountain. And we think he was standing in this place, and he could have been standing anywhere, but you could see this palace from just about anywhere in the city. And he, he probably looked up and he said, if you just have a little bit of faith, you could move mountains like that. And then he would say things like, a city on a hill can't be hidden. They're probably sitting in the dark and looking at this big valley where you could see lights on all the cities. And he always pointed, he would say a farmer was in his field. He would tell a story. My thought is he was probably walking by a farm at the time and saw farmers out in his field. He did this all the time. And this is how Jesus talked about hell. When he went and talked to his people, he would say this. All the people are gathering. Gehenna, the valley of Gehenna. Gehenna is the word that our Bible translates hell. Translates as hell. That the valley of Gehenna is dark, scary, and awful. And people would go, I know what the valley of Gehenna is. Here's what it was. It was the trash dump. It was the city dump. It was southwest of the city of Jerusalem. It was the place where the entire city dumped their trash. And you've, some of you probably grew up this way. I grew up burning our trash. That's what we did. We burned, and I remember seeing big black clouds of smoke go up. Didn't think anything of it at the time. Now I know it's probably what's going to kill my grandchildren. But, but at the time, I thought that, that that's okay, and we just burnt our trash everywhere we were. In Jerusalem, at this point in time, that's what they did. Everybody brought their city, or, or their trash, to this place called Gina, and it and they burned it right there. And it, because there's always trash, and there's, there's always fire, it's just constant, awful place. Smells. It's hot. Fire. There are dogs ravaging through the gunk, you know what I'm talking about, that are fighting and gnashing their teeth, if you're a Bible scholar. And those who come around the fire are poor because they're sifting through to get whatever food they can find and they weep. And it's a dark, gross place. In the city of Jerusalem, Jesus would point to this. And he would say, that is the consequences of living a passive life. If you choose violence, you get that. And people go, yeah, when my dad beats my mom, it feels like that. And Jesus says, because God is all about choice, you can have all the Gehenna you want. You can have all the hell that you choose. Now, many, many years later, Christians, well-meaning Christian people, people who are followers of Jesus, wanted to tell their kids and their grandkids to be good. So they started drawing horns on beasts. The Bible talks about Satan. The Bible talks about the devil. The Bible talks about a fallen angel. But we started making up things because it was convenient, because it was easy. And then we started passing them on to our kids. Today, you can believe what I'm saying. I'm not sure I believe everything. I'm just getting out words so that you can understand today that you need to have your mind open about who God is and about what you believe when it comes to heaven and hell. Because here's the thing about hell to Jesus. It was a real, physical, tangible thing. It was a thing he could point at to show people hell can be here too. And if you don't choose to love God, if you choose violence, If you choose um, to take advantage of people, you bring Gehenna. You bring the trash heap dump here into your life. Gehenna was the city dump 
It was a real place that people could see. Jesus talked about it as the consequences of living an abusive, exploitive, violent, and selfish life. And Jesus used the word we translate as hell to describe the consequences of being a particular kind of person. And then we have decided as Christians or as religious people at times that we get to choose who goes where when. And we've even decided what it looks like, what it smells like, what it feels like. What do you think it would say to your dad, your heavenly father? One of the things I love so much about my kids, I, I love my kids, and I, you know, they have their challenges, and we're going on vacation, and I'm trying to make this a vacation from their character development. I feel like as a dad, I spend a lot of time like, Reese, you got to do this, and when you grow up, you got to be this. I decided this week, no character development. Vacation from character development. We're just going to be who you are this week, and we'll figure it out on Monday, you know. It might be a tough Monday, but we're all taking a vacation, and, and I love my kids, but, and I, I have these moments with my kids where I think, Thank God for these kids. But the moment that I love them the most, the moment that I feel the most peace with my kids is when I see them love each other. When I see my son, who, just crazy dude, get a little bit tired because that's when it usually happens, and he gives his sister a big bear hug and says something nice to her. There's this moment where I go, ah, oh, that's my boy. This is who, this is what I want my life more than anything i want those two to understand love and get at each other now the thing that breaks my heart the most when it comes to them is not when they disobey me it's when they look at each other and wish poor things on each other it's when they call each other something when they point at each other when they say dad she uh dad he uh it's not the tattling that drives me nuts it's something deeper and let me tell you how your heavenly father feels today when you sit in the back seat and go, Dad, they, but Dad. You know what I say to my kids? Hey, you're in charge of yourself. I'm in charge of them. So those of you who are playing, Dad, when it comes to heaven and hell, God says there's some things you can look forward to with heaven, some things you don't even understand with hell. Stop making stuff up. It's not your business What can be your business is the hell you bring to earth. Violence, judgment, frustration, exploitivity, selfishness. That hell is a lot harder to deal with than the guy with the horns and the pitchfork that you made up and dress up like on Halloween. That is Disney. You don't have to deal with it. You don't have to think about it. You can send people there in your brain. But the real hell, the hell that Jesus talks about you being able to avoid, and the one he doesn't want for your life as he talks about the city dump, is the stuff you bring in when every single day of your life you bring things that don't choose God. Okay, I'm getting there. Next slide. Eternity starts now. That's what I want you to not miss when it comes to heaven and hell. I'm hoping you feel this 
at the next funeral. I'm hoping you feel this at the next church service. I'm hoping you feel this at lunch today with your kids. I'm hoping you feel this when you go to work Monday morning, that eternity isn't someday, that our job as Christians is not to wait and just try to escape as everything blows up like a Star Wars scene, that our job is to start getting better, start preparing for the the thing that God is doing to renew the earth. Please, please don't be caught up in a religion, in a Christian environment that says things like this. Uh, The older Christians say this sometimes. Boy, I, I don't know. I, I'm just, I just don't think I belong here anymore. I'm just getting out of here. It's just getting worse and worse, and I'm get, I just can't wait to get out of this place. I, this place is going to hell in a handbasket. The truth is, this is God's place. He said it was good. It's getting better. He's going to renew it, all things, and you're going to be shocked when you're sitting on the beach in front of the same ocean that you just cursed for eternity because this is God's place, and he's going to redeem it. So be careful how you talk about it. Be careful what you burn in the environment. Be careful how you deal with this because this is heaven. We can love more. If we get right now that this eternity starts now, we can love more and let go of grudges. We can let peace rule in our hearts and our minds and we can bring heaven to earth. Jesus said, God, would you bring heaven to earth? This is your job. If you don't hear anything else I say today, what Jesus talked most about heaven is you bringing a little bit of heaven to earth. Your job as a Christian is to love like you're going, I'm going to take some of that thing that we talk about and give it right now. Make it right now. So this is what I did to my kids last night when I was, pre- I was preaching the sermon to myself. I would preach the sermon to myself first and then I come forward at the end and I cry and I repent. You know, No, I don't do that. But I I said to my kids last night when I quit preparing this, I said, hey, Reese, London, I want you to come here today. I want you to tell tell you something. This week, this week's going to be heaven. As close as we can get to it. No character development. You're going to make great choices. I'm going to make great choices. We're going to do fun things. We're going to love God. We're going to spend time together. And there was this moment of like, is that what you meant, God? Heaven to earth? Yeah, let's take a deep breath and let's be about each other for a moment. Let's not be about the back seat. God, he on. God, they are over here. And God, did you see that, God? The truth is, it's your choice. Band, you guys can come up. Somebody might need a muzzle for me today. So I, I want you to, to hear this today. We don't know much about heaven and hell, really. We made up a lot of things. But the things that seemed to be most important to Jesus were this. That no matter who you are, that you don't have to be in a certain place to hear God. That you don't have to be in a certain place between you and God. So whatever you are at today, if, if you're at A, maybe you're at like whatever in the alphabet is before A when it comes to a relationship with God. God just wants you to get to the next letter. He just wants to get closer. So today, you need to hear that. You don't have to be a certain type of person. Jesus makes it clear. He makes it very clear that this this heaven that we talk about and this salvation that he brought is free. Well, yeah, free, but it costs you something, right? No. I said this a few weeks back. I think it's worth saying it again. I've heard a lot of people respond to this. It'd be like if you gave me a gift card for my birthday, which I got a lot of, and please don't give me any more. Thank you so much for gift cards. I got a lot of these gift cards. and It would be like me getting a gift card for 100 bucks. And calling you and saying, $100 gift card, that is amazing. I'm going to pay you 80 bucks for that card. Here's 80 bucks. It's a great deal for me, I still get a $20 gift card. You would go, I gave you a gift card. Yeah, 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 but you know, I, I'm going to do something to earn that. No, 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 John, I gave you that because I love you. That's a free gift. All right, then how about 50 bucks? 
50 bucks, hey, that gives me a $50 gift, half, I'll split it with you. You go, no, 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 I gave you that card. And then I walk away and I go, yeah, but if you gave me that card and I didn't earn it, then it's free. Yeah. Why would you give me something free? Because I just love you. Yeah, but what do you get out of it? You don't get it, man. I just love you. I'm hoping the gift card analogy does something in your heart today. Because God has given you eternity. He's given it to you. Your job is not a list of things you have to do. It's not to give him 80 bucks back. It's to say, I choose you. And when you do, in that moment of free will, it's amazing what it does to your life. What it does to the way you live, the way you move, and the way you do the things that God intends for you to do. It's about restoration. It's what's next. And it's your choice. We're going to sing this song um, called Let It Rain. We've sang it a lot around here. And um, I'll just be real with this, Rick. We were, uh, I was uh, back there mixing this morning, the soundboard, and I heard this song. And Rick does this thing during this song where he, he talks. Have you, you know what I'm talking about? You've heard this? And he reads it, and, and it, I always go back there somewhere because it makes me feel like, I don't know, it feels awkward to me sometimes. And today I heard him doing it, and I knew I was going to talk about this sermon about being authentic, about being real, and I know that that dude up there is about the realest guy I know, and he's going to read this thing. So I said, hey, Rick, during this song, would you just pray? He's like, well, what, what would I say? I'm like, whatever is in your heart, man. So he's going to try this. Now that put a lot of pressure on you. Sorry about that. Yeah. But here's what I want you to do. This song is called Let It Rain. And it doesn't have anything to do with the crops. It doesn't have anything to do with the clouds. What this is, is God, would you rain down this free gift on me? It feels expensive because I feel like I have a list of things i got to do. It feels like I have to get, like I don't quite understand it yet. Like I have to do something. God, would you rain down on me? You know what happens in the rain? If you want to get wet in the rain, you know what you have to do? Walk outside. You don't have to try. So right here, right now, if you're trying too hard for the love of God, stop. Just stop. Walk outside in the rain and accept the free gift. We're going to sing this song. You may sing, you may not sing. Whatever it is right now, would you just let God rain on you? Sing this song with us. Stand up, would you please?